The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. So change of emotion, all right? How many of you here are going away for Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. Traveling, okay. How many of you are hosting Thanksgiving? Brave people, brave people. Way to go, good job. Um, Two weeks ago, in staff meeting, Chad shared with us that he and his family are going to Galena, Illinois. And we promptly responded by uh, making fun of him. <laughs> Galena, Illinois. Who goes on vacation to Galena, Illinois? It's like going to Muncie, Indiana. Who does that? <laughs> are you from Galena? Okay. All right. But, but they chose Galena because it had several of the accommodations they were looking for. They wanted something that's central to their extended family. It has a bed and breakfast. It has a rec center with a pool and things for the kids to play. And so it fit all of their needs here in this little town called Galena, Illinois. Well, Chad shared it again the next week. And again, we made fun of him. Well, I too have my travel plans for Thanksgiving. Every year we go to Kansas City to be with my family. And uh, we stay at a hotel along the way. And we decided to start, stay in a small town called Barneveld, Wisconsin. Anyone heard of Barneveld? And there is a, there's a hotel right off the highway. And what does that hotel have? Does anyone know? A water slide, right? For my kids, this is like magic, a water slide. And so I went and I booked to stay at this hotel with a water slide. It had a breakfast. It was going to be a great place for us to stay. And we were hyping this up. We're getting to go to stay at a hotel with a water park. And so I thought to myself, I better make sure it's open. And so I called this past week and sure enough, it is not open. And so I got on Expedia and I started searching and I had all these accommodations that I want, all these preferences, all these needs, all these things we wanted to be pampered. We wanted a hotel that had a water slide. That is very hard to find. And the hotel that had a water slide needed to have a continental breakfast because when there's six of us, it almost pays for itself to stay in a hotel. And then we wanted a a hotel that when you go on TripAdvisor says glowing reviews. And it also had to be along our route to Kansas City. And so I searched and searched and searched for a hotel that fit fit all of our needs, had all the accommodations that we wanted. And there was only one hotel came up And guess where it was located? (laughs) Galena, Illinois. (laughs) So funny. God has such a great sense of humor, doesn't he? The point is this. When we are looking for a hotel, we are going as customers and as consumers. And we are going looking for something that fits all of our desires. We want to be pampered. We want to water slide. We want breakfast. We want all of these good things, which is fine and wonderful when you're looking for a hotel. But that is not how we are called to do church. We are not called to come to church as consumers, as customers, but as contributors. We are called to come to the church to one another, stewarding the love of God generously and liberally to those sitting around us. And that's what Peter is going to remind us of today. If you would, please open up to first Peter chapter four, verse one through seven. As you turn there, uh, last week we started 
uh, chap- excuse me, I skipped the part. I'm going to back up a little bit. Go ahead and turn to First Peter chapter 4. And I just want to point out how consumerism is something that all of us are tempted with. That all of us are tempted to come to a church and want a church that serves us, that makes us the focal point. We want a church where people will invite us over for dinner, but we don't want to invite them over for dinner. We want a church that plays all the songs we like in the way we like with the loudness we like, because we're pretty sure that if everybody heard the way we liked music, everybody would love it. And then we want a ministry for our kids, for our teens, for our Adults, for our dogs, for people that love motorcycles, for people who don't love motorcycles. And we want all of these ministries, but we don't want to serve in them. We want to, we want to be consumers, but not contributors. And I think even the megachurch model, which I'm not against, but I think the megachurch model can fuel this because you can come in and you can have all of these expansive, wonderful, glorious ministries and have to do nothing in return. But that is not how God calls us to be the church. My pastor in St. Louis once defined consumerism in this way. He said, consumerism is having high expectations and low commitment. Again, that is fine when you're going to a hotel. But that is not how we are called to do church. We are called to do church by stewarding God's love to one another. And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, he reminds us of that. Last week, we started chapter 4 of 1 Peter, and in those first six verses, Peter exhorts us to turn away from sin. And we do this by armoring ourselves with the truths of the gospel, that the power of sin has been broken at the cross. And because of that, the pattern of sin can be broken in our lives. And as we look forward to the day of judgment, we need not fear if we trust in Christ, because the penalty of our sin has been taken by our Savior. Now, one thing we discovered last week is that sin is always selfish. Sin is always me-centered. But to live righteously before God, verse 2 tells us, is to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And so today, we want to look and see how do we as churchmen and church women live not for ourselves, not to consume, but for the will of God. And so let's read together. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning confessing that so often when we come to church, the top person we're thinking about is ourselves. Will they play the songs that we like? Will people say hi to me? Will we be filled up by the message? And yet, Lord, we know that our primary audience is to be you. And as we look to you, God, it calls us to love others. And so, God, pray this morning that you would 
uncover the consumerism in our heart and replace it with the love of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Last week we ended with verse 7. This week we're going to start with it. And it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Again, we mentioned this last week. Peter isn't saying Jesus is coming today. Peter is saying Jesus could come today. Jesus could come any day. And because Christ could come any day, we should live self-controlled and sober-minded. Now, he spends the first six verses showing, what, showing us what this looks like in our personal lives as we fight against sin. But today, he shows us what it looks like in the context of the relationship within the church. Knowing that today we are closer to Christ's return than ever before in human history. How are we to act as a church? How are we to care for one another, love one another? And that's what he tells us today. Now, throughout scripture, you probably know this, but the scriptures call us to love one another. Today in particular, Peter is going to call us to love each other earnestly, to love each other actively and to love each other purposefully. And so those are the three things we're going to look at today. The first is we are called to love one another earnestly. Verse 8 says it very clear. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. When I was teaching my kid how to run a football, I taught him how to cut left and cut right and to run north and south. But I told him, above all else, whatever you do, hold on to the ball, right? All those other things were important, but the most important thing was that he holds on to the ball. Peter starts by telling us that in the reality of Christ's return, there are many important things, but above all, love one another. Peter says we should do this earnestly. The King James Version translates it fervently. It's a word used of a racer as they're extending their chest for the finish line or of of a horse that's going down the final strip before he hits the finish line. It's that final exertion. And Peter calls us to love one another with earnestness and fervency and vigor. And Peter gives us the result of that earnest love. He says, above all, keep loving one another since love covers a multitude of sins. How many of you have heard that saying, a love covers a multitude of sins? Has anyone heard that? I think it's a pretty familiar saying, right? Most people have heard a love covers a multitude of sins. It's interesting in my community group this past week, we asked the question, what does this mean? And it was hard for us to answer that question. We actually struggled through it to try to figure out. There's about three minutes of silence as we struggled to understand what does this phrase mean that we use so very often? Because we know that this does not mean that love ignores sin or that love wipe, uh, sweeps sin under the carpet. And so what does it mean that love covers over a multitude of sins? Well, I think what it means is that love keeps our relationships from being destroyed by sin. It means that love triumphs over the other person's sins in protecting and continuing our relationship with them. Think about how we use this phrase in other contexts. Maybe you have one time said, chocolate covers over a multitude of sins. Have you ever heard someone use it in that type of way? And what you're saying is, you know, these cookies, they may be hard, they may be brittle, they may be cracked, 
but they have chocolate. (laughs) I can overlook the little flaws in the cookie because it has chocolate and I enjoy it and I savor it because of that. When we say love covers over a multitude of sin, we can see the person's sin. We can see their bad habits, but we can say, you know what? I love you. I can overlook those imperfections to love you because my love covers over that sin. Now, I think the expression loving covering over love covering over a multitude of sin is teased out best in 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably heard this passage at weddings. But the original intent was not for weddings. The original intent of this passage was to tell us how we are to love one another in the church. And it goes like this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love covering over a multitude of sins means that we refuse to let sin have the final word in our relationship with other people. It means we refuse to let their sin stand in the way of our relationship moving forward. It means we refuse to let their sin hinder the intimacy in our relationship or be a barrier in our relationship. And so what does this look like practically for us to love one another and for it to cover over a multitude of sins? Well, really, we have two options. The first option is that we would forbear and forgive. You know, maybe someone says a hurtful word to you or they they ignore you and it's hurtful, but you figure, you know what? They're having a bad day. Something's wrong. It's okay. I'm just going to forgive them. I don't need to talk about it with them. And it doesn't hinder your relationship. You continue together in intimacy and moving together as a brother and sister in Christ. But if the sin is an ongoing pattern or the sin has caused a disruption in your relationship and it's a blocking intimacy in your relationship going forward, then to love the other person, the Bible tells us, is to go to them, to talk to them, to confront them in tenderness and compassion and love, looking for the plank in your own eye, going to them and saying, hey, you did this and it was hurtful for to me. And you do this out of love because you want the reconciliation of that relationship. To give you an example from my personal life, a few weeks ago, I was complaining about something. And my wife, Trish, said, you need to stop complaining. <laughs> You either need to change your situation or you need to stop complaining. Now, my wife on multiple occasions simply forbore, something like that, forbore my complaining. She forgave it. She loved me. She cared for me. But she knew this was a pattern that was detrimental both to me, to my relationship to the Lord, and to my relationship with her. And so finally, she came to me out of love and said, stop it. You see, love both calls us to forbear and forgive, but also to confront and forgive. And so we are called as churchmen and churchwomen, above all, to keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sin. Now, we are not only called to love earnestly, but we are also called to love actively. As important as it is for us to tell one another how much we love one another, it's also very important that we show it, because talk is cheap. 1 John 3 says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
Now, here's the cool thing, as we'll see in this passage in 1 Peter, is that God equips us and empowers us with the very purpose that we might love one another, both in serving and in speaking to one another. It starts in verse 9. He says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Earnest love seeks the good of the other person before themselves. And Christians manifest this in hospitality. And while hospitality may not be your gift, hospitality is still your calling. Hospitality is both a duty and a privilege of all Christians. Hebrews 13 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels. Romans 12, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Furthermore, Scripture tells us that the qualifications of an elder and a deacon is one who shows hospitality. Now, to be fair, in the days of Peter, hospitality was more of a necessity in the sense that you were to, to, to host people who were traveling through, brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they be businessmen or preachers or families or whatever it might be, because to go to the inn would have been a dangerous place to be. No locks on the doors, a lot of sultry characters. And so to host them would be a matter in sometimes, in some ways, of life and death. It was certainly one of security. Now, you may be called to do that. If you know a brother or sister in Christ who have fallen on hard times, maybe lost a job or just trying to get things together, their life is very messy. Maybe the Lord is leading you to bring them into your house and to show them hospitality in that way. But for most of us on a daily basis, hospitality looks like greeting someone when they walk through the door here at church. Hospitality looks like inviting someone to come out to eat with you or to come over for supper, to come over for the game. And what's interesting here is that it's not simply having your friends over or having your family over. In fact, this word hospitality is literally translated the love of strangers. In Luke 14, Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And Jesus said to the man who had invited him this. He said, when you give a dinner or a banquet, Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What Jesus says that makes Christian hospitality unique It's not that we invite people over. It's who we invite over. See, we don't just invite those who are friends, but those who are strangers. We don't just invite those of great stature, but those of low stature. We don't just invite those who give us energy, but those who maybe suck the energy out of us. Loving and fellowshipping with your friends on Sunday mornings in the atrium or at home in the afternoons is not... Christian fellowship, um, excuse me, is not Christian has hospitality. It is fellowship, but is not Christian hospitality. Christian hospitality is loving and fellowshipping with the sojourner, the lonely and the hurting, the stranger and the poor. That is Christian hospitality. And I would just say to you this morning, there are plenty of people in here who are lonely, who are hurting, who are going through a difficult time in life. And those are the people in our flesh that we most stay away from. 
But God said, this is what hospitality is. To go and love those that are alone, that are sojourners, that are hurting, and to care for them. Peter goes on to say, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh, man. (laughs) Peter knows that Christian hospitality takes sacrifice. You sacrifice your time and maybe cleaning the house and preparing a meal. You sacrifice your money and purchasing the food. You sacrifice energy maybe in keeping the conversation going, which is not something you don't have to do with close friends. But Peter says that we should do so without grumbling, but with a thankful heart that God has show, shows his love to others through us. Now, serving includes hospitality, but also goes far beyond hospitality. Verse 10 continues and says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, this verse has a lot in it. First off, it says each of us, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, if you trust in Christ for your salvation, each and every one of us have been given a gift from God. It's not a Christmas gift, but it's a gift of the Spirit. Throughout Scripture, we see gifts of the Spirit. Maybe some of these stick out to you as gifts that you have. In Romans 12, we read that exhortation, which is encouragement or rebuke, is a gift. So is leadership and mercy and prophecy, which is preaching, serving, and teaching. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that spiritual gifts include administration, discernment, faith, healing, helps, knowledge, miracles, tongues, wisdom. Ephesians 4 tells us evangelism and pastoring is a gift. Other passages tell us that gifts include celibacy, hospitality, martyrdom, missionary work, voluntary poverty. These are all gifts of the Spirit that God gives to his saints. And maybe you know what your gift is, but maybe you don't. And a great way to find out what your spiritual gift is by asking those who are close to you. Or by trying on different hats, different ministries, and seeing which one you are good at, which one God has gifted you at to do. Maybe something that comes easy to you, but is difficult to others. The point is, is that every Christian, without exception, has been given a spiritual gift. Verse 10 continues saying, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God has not given you a gift to hoard to yourself. He has not given it to you for self-promotion or to get promoted in the workplace. God has given you spiritual gifts in order that you might give it away. God has given you spiritual gifts that you might steward it liberally and generously in loving one another. 1 Corinthians 12, which comes right before that, passage on love talks a lot about a lot about spiritual gifts and the use of it. I want to read you a couple of verses from it. It says, "Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are variety of activities, but in the same God who empowers them all and everyone." To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, talking about our physical body, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. God has given us all spiritual gifts. And the reason he has given us spiritual gifts is not to keep it to ourselves, but to share it with those around us. In the TV show Heroes, there is a bunch of ordinary people that are given extraordinary gifts, and they use these gifts, hopefully for good. They're superpowers. God has given those in Christ superpowers. They're called spiritual gifts. And they're not as showy, not as flashy. Maybe your spiritual gifts call you to work behind the scenes. But nonetheless, God has gifted each and every one of us with spiritual gifts to share, to minister to one another. And so if you are on the sideline or you're simply using gifts for your own benefit, not only are you living in disobedience, but the whole body suffers. You know, I've heard people say, I don't need a church. But here God tells us, the church needs you. The church needs you to come and minister to those around you, using your gifts to love and care for one another. Peter continues in verse 11 saying, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, if your spiritual gift is exhortation or preaching or teaching or wisdom or evangelism or pastoring or encouragement, that you are to do these things, to speak, not simply with the wisdom of man, but with the wisdom of God that is found in his scripture. Verses like this and other verses that talk about the priority of God's word deeply shape us here at Jacob's. Well, this is why we open to you God's word every Sunday morning. This is why we study God's word in community groups, but we should also minister to one another with God's word. Verse 11 continues, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. When you are serving, you can serve from two power sources two potential power sources. You can serve from your own power or you can serve from the power of God. And so I asked myself this week, how do I know if I'm serving in my strength or God's strength? I think that's a good question for us to ask when we're serving. Whose strength am I serving out of? Am I serving from my strength or God's strength? And I think the answer actually comes back in verse nine. Are you serving with a grumbling heart? Are you serving because you want something out of it? If you serve and grumble when you serve, maybe it's because you're doing it in your own strength for your own purposes, looking for a return. But if selfish, sinful people sacrificially serve one another with joy, there's no other conclusion that it then that it is by the power of God. And so we are called to serve in God's strength. And this means we don't only get credit, we don't only not get credit for our gifts, 
which are given to us by God, but we also don't get credit for the strength to carry out our gifts. God supplies both the spiritual gift and the strength to do it for his glory. And this leads us to the final point. What is the purpose of our love? What is the purpose of us loving one another earnestly? What is the purpose of us loving one another actively? And the purpose of love is summarized at the end of verse 11. In order that in everything, in all things, in all of your earnest and active love, in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. What does it mean to glorify God? Does it mean that we give God glory as, he's, as if he is not infinitely glorious? We can't contribute to God's glory. He's already as glorious as he ever could be. But for us to glorify God means that we reveal his glory. We reveal his greatness to a watching world. And that we can do it in everything through Jesus Christ. A few months ago, I helped the Zydells move a piano across the street into their house. It was actually pretty comical, but we got it done. And, uh, and we moved the piano across the street and it got put in their living room. And this past Wednesday, as we were dropping off the kids after Awana, we got to hear Lily play the piano. And Lily's teacher is a friend of ours named Janet who lives down the street. And Lily started playing Silent Night. And it was amazing what she could do after just a short amount of time. And after playing Silent Night, my wife said, Wow, you must have a great teacher. You see, Lily's piano playing revealed the glory of another. Lily's piano playing revealed the glory of her teacher, that her teacher knows how to play silent light, but so much more. And not only that, her piano teacher knows how to accommodate a child, how to teach a child how to play piano. You know, our sin is so pervasive in our life. That when we set consumerism aside, when we set selfishness aside and do things out of earnest love for one another, God's glory is revealed because not only is his love put on display through us, but the power of Christ to transform people is put on display because of us. You see, people can see the glory of our creator as we serve one another. When we use our gifts and talents to love one another earnestly and actively, it reveals the glory of God as both creator, redeemer, and sanctifier, who not only gives us gifts, but gives us the power to use them. Peter ends by saying, To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Which means truly. Why are we to live for God's glory and not our own glory? Well, the simple answer is because God deserves all the glory. God and God alone deserves all the glory. And if we live life to glorify ourselves, which many of us struggle with, we are robbing God of the glory that is due him. To get very practical with it, this Thanksgiving, someone will probably play, pay you a compliment. They'll say something like, that's a great pie that you made or your house looks wonderful or, or, or boy, you sure know how to dress nice. You look beautiful today. And so what does it look like for us in that instance 
to give the glory to God. Well, it might be just as simple as two words. As saying, praise God. Or, or if you want to be more advanced, maybe three words and say, praise the Lord. Now, I, I know this seems weird, but it says that we can give glory to God in everything and in all things. And we can do that because how do we have the ability to cook? It's given to us by God. How do we have the ability to clean and creatively decorate our, our house or to dress? It's because God is created, creative and he's given us his creativity. We have nothing apart from God. And so everything, all the glory goes to God. And so we can redirect people and redirect our own hearts to give glory to God. I remember when I was at New Hope and I would tell Pastor Jim, Jim, that was a great sermon. And his answer would always be glory to God. Praise be to God. Because Jim knew that that gifting was not in and of himself, but it came from God. All things should lead us to glorify God and enjoy God because God is the giver of every good gift. Let me end with this. This past summer, I went to something called General Assembly. It's for our denomination. It's the nationwide get-together of pastors and and we vote on things and do business and things like that. But half of it is really just socializing. And then the other half is kind of business. And one of the things I was looking for was going down and being with a lot of pastors from Wisconsin and kind of just sharing the, some things I've been going through and uh, have them empathize with me and pray for me and things like that. And so I was going there, and that's not bad, but I was going there, to be honest, just as a consumer. I didn't want to help anyone or love anyone. I wanted everybody to help me and to love me. And so when I was down there, I would go to the pastors at Brown, Wisconsin, and I would ask them the question, how are you doing? And to be honest with you, the reason I asked them, how are you doing, wasn't because I wanted to know how they were doing. It's because I wanted them to ask me, how are you doing? And I wanted to be able to unload a little bit. Well, God did something very interesting. When I would ask people, how are you doing? There would just be this avalanche of hurt and pain, and suffering that they would share with me. And, and either we got disrupted by business or by another person coming in a situation, and never did a person ask me back, how are you doing? And, and these are not unloving people. This is not typical for them not to do that. But God, in his great wisdom, said, Dan, it's not about you. You have not been called here to be served, but to serve. Not to be loved, but to love. In the story of, in the Gospel of Mark, there's a story of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they ask Jesus if one of them can sit at his right and one sit at his left in glory. And we go on to read in Mark 10, it says, when the 10 heard about it, they became indignant with James and John. They were mad because James and John called shotgun before they could, right? They wanted to be on the right and left in the kingdom of God. And it goes on, and Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, right? They, they, they hold themselves up on a pedestal. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. And then Jesus said these words, which they would not fully grasp for many weeks. He said, for even the Son of Man, talking about himself, the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited King, did not come to be served, but to serve and did give his life as a ransom for many. Why can we, above all, sacrificially serve one another? Why can we, above all, steward God's love towards one another? Why can we, above all, Use our gifting to care for one another. And the answer is because we are disciples of the one who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We have a savior who came and so earnestly loved his church that he not only covered over a multitude of sins with his love, but that he took away a multitude of sins with his love. He took away the penalty of sin, not just to redeem us and rescue us from hell, but to redeem us and rescue us from our consumerism, that we might love God and love others. Church men and church women, we are given a high calling to love one another earnestly, for love covers over a multitude of sins, to love one another actively using our gifts to care for one another and to love one another purposefully, that in all things our God might be glorified. Let's pray. Lord, we are so prone to think about ourselves and we confess that to you. And so God, we need your grace to not just think about us, but to think about those sitting in the seats next to us to think about how we might love them and care for them, how we might use our spiritual gifts for the edification of the body. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that doesn't know your great love, which did not come to be served, but to serve and to give your life for us, that they would know the greatness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, pray that you would help us to put into practice what we learned today, to not sit on the sidelines, but to follow your divine calling, to use our gifts, to serve one another without grumbling, but with great joy as service to our King. May you receive all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.